Welcome to Mudville, a podcast about baseball and cinema. I'm Brody Stout. I'm Nolan Rabine. We hope you enjoy. Well, here we are. We're back. What's up? It's Mudville. Hey. It is July 6th. It's a Thursday. Hi. It was a nice holiday weekend. Yeah, it was. It's been hot as shit. Weekend, it's Thursday. Yeah, but <laughs> it was a holiday weekend. Now okay. it's, now it's Thursday. Enough. Yeah. And we're past the halfway point of the MLB season, officially. That's crazy. Which is crazy, because it feels That's like really just yesterday we were starting this podcast know, back in March. That? Yeah. And it also feels like just yesterday... That our guest today was on talking about fantasy baseball points league strategies and blessing the world with his uh, with his takes. And who is our guest today? Introducing. You already know him and you love him. He's back. Mr. Nick Chalmers, a.k.a. Better than ever. Prospect Sauce, wow. a.k.a. That was just... Some kind of intro voice. Thank you so much. <laughs> Happy to be here. We, we practiced. Thrilled <laughs> to be talking some some baseball as always. Little little first half recap. Little MLB draft action this Sunday. Oh yeah. Be hyped about that. Oh, I'm so excited for it, man. What are your thoughts on it being part of All Star Weekend? All Star Week weekend, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I mean, I, I like it. I feel like, um, at least in terms of the major sports in the United States, like the MLB draft is pretty distant third in terms of popularity and just like you know who tunes in just the average baseball fan usually doesn't even pay attention to it so right. i feel like it's a good thing just to like get some more spotlight on it because i do think it's it, it's really interesting um to follow it, it's interesting especially this year like it, this is a such a great loaded draft like if you're gonna tune into the draft do it this year this is an amazing draft to do so so i think it's good I think it's a good thing. I'm with you there. This is like the first time I've ever really kind of like paid attention at all to prospects before they get drafted. Um, and part of that might just be because there are two, well, more than two, but really like two big name, you know, can't Five miss. Even, yeah. yeah, but I, I'm yeah, just saying but, like Cruz and Skeens being what like mean, what yeah. they are and like the hype that they're bringing and the whole deal with them. Um, I, you know, I think it's maybe it's, gonna be a pattern but maybe it could also just be this year but i don't know it just it feels uh feels like this is gonna be a big one i'm excited well one way or another uh this is certainly a stacked draft uh you know like we said you've if you've followed it much at all um you know that there are five guys in this year's draft who could be a consensus number one pick in most years particularly two years ago in 2021 where there wasn't really a consensus number one going into the draft there are five guys in this draft dylan cruz paul Skeens, wyatt langford max clark and walker jenkins who would all have been considered the number one pick in that draft just as an example but this year they're all in the same class it's it's still incredibly deep behind those players as well we've got a number of elite college arms. Um, we've got some hitters projected in the 10s and 20s who are just putting up video game numbers. And we've got a lot of very exciting high school talent in this draft. So we're going to do a mock draft in the second half of the episode, which I'm super excited about. Uh, and 
personally, this is my first mock draft for a uh, situation like this, and I'm very excited that this is the prospect crop that we get to be analyzing. Um, before we get to that, though, we're going to do a first half season recap. Uh, we're going to be talking about some players who have been doing quite well, some players who haven't been doing quite as well, and everything in the middle. I also just pulled up some of our preseason predictions. So Ooh, we, can, we can tap oh, into some nice. of those. Yes, yeah. that's great. I think we've got a nice episode for the people today. going to be good. So grab your popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> Buckle up. Grab it. We don't really do those kind of teases, but I'm going to do one right now. Do it. Yeah, hit it. Uh, I was just going to say grab your popcorn, buckle oh, up. It's going to okay. be a good one. What, what kind of popcorn? Is it at least like kettle corn? Obviously. Okay. When is it ever not kettle corn? I feel like it's frequently not kettle corn. Yeah, but that's bad. All right. <laughs> um, I think the first thing that you talk about when you're going to talk about this MLB season and really this entire Probably decade. It's too early to say that, but I think that if the you're going where you're 2020s going, 2020s of baseball are going to right. be dominated <laughs> by Mr. Shohei Otani, yeah. <laughs> the two-way superstar out of Los Angeles or Anaheim, technically. Um, Fake LA. You don't need. <laughs> he doesn't need much of an introduction at this point. No, Everybody knows who he is. It's he getting is, ridiculous at this point. Yes, he has torn the cover off the ball for three years straight while also putting up Cy Young numbers on the mound. Um, he has the best stuff plus of any pitcher in the league. and <laughs> He's got, well, best spread out stuff over five separate pitches. It's not something that you, you typically see from any starter not named like Shane McClanahan. Right. Um, and then on the offensive side of the plate, he leads the league in home runs, and we're just about at the all-star break. So, Brody, what do you have to say about Shohei Otani? I would, can you say that you didn't just say or that it hasn't been said other than just like to take time out of your week to watch him <laughs> every now and then whenever you can? I, he's, he's, I said it last week, and I'm going to use it until he retires at least, is the fact that he's baseball Jesus. I mean, the dude can do everything on a baseball field and is the best at it at everything. He had the 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 stat that last week we talked about with him having leading the league in homers and having the best batting average against is going to stick with me for a very long time. That halfway through the year that was what he we were dealing with. It's not that's something that you believable. Yeah. I mean that's not to say I mean Josh Donaldson has zero ERA right now so you know, <laughs> fair enough. That. The fact that he just does this consistently and you know, we were talking about it recently, and I don't know if it was on the pot or not, but um, like when he came over, there was doubts on whether or not he'd be able to keep up with both or, you know, it's just, it's amazing how much better he is than anyone ever would have expected. Um, I think people were like, maybe he'll be a good pitcher and a great hitter, or he'll be pretty good at both, or like maybe he's not good at, you know, at, at either to start, so they make him pick one or whatever. I mean, there were any number of different you know outcomes that people were predicting and none of them were he's going to end up as the most talented baseball player of all time so i think uh it's kind of interesting how it's going yeah there's there's certainly been um much discussion over the course of of his career over his uh longevity like you said whether he'd be able to do both hitting and pitching for a while um we thought it might just be at the plate that he might not have had the arm health 
I think and, he grew up as a pitcher. Like he developed initially to be a pitcher. And yes, he, he certainly so, did. Yeah. Um, I think people thought he was going to have to. But yeah, like just we just do that. But yeah, like we talked about last week, what what he's doing is just recontextualizing how we can even think about what baseball players are capable of. Right. Because if he was an average hitter and an average pitcher, that would be unbelievable. Right. If he was an elite hitter as an and an average pitcher people would talk about him every day it would be it, he would be but he would still be among the greatest athletes in the world to be arguably the best hitter and the best pitcher at the same time for a course of three seasons at this point and to get better every year what he's doing is incredible in a number of different ways and when you stack those things on top of each other, it, it just becomes unfathomable, yeah. I think. Um, Nick, do you have anything to add about Shohei? I mean, there kind of can't be enough. Well, yeah, I mean, you guys touched it all. I mean, it's unbelievable. It, it's almost getting to the point where it's Shohei and everyone else. Like, if we're talking about MVP race or best player in baseball. It's I like, think we're there. He's really in his own category. We're yeah. not even mentioning him, right? Like, it's just, he's on an island. Like, I, was, chilling. I made a joke to my dad <laughs> that on the All Star ballot, it was like pitchers, you know, first base, second base, third base, and then Shohei. <laughs> like, yeah. just the Shohei category where he obviously, you know, is the only Shohei, so he just gets in. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's just being well, it's, automatically it's, locked. Sorry, continue now. Yeah, go ahead. It, it's, it's funny. Um, so back in 2018, I think it was when he came over. Um, it was in a dynasty league, and we had a rookie draft. And the top two players available were Acuna and Otani. They were the top two prospects at the time. Um, Acuna's having quite the year, too, and I feel like he's kind yeah. of getting himself into the category of, okay, maybe he, in, at least in the National League, maybe it's Acuna and everyone else. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I was just going to say that. That was the next thing I had written down. <laughs> Um, I I, th- I was going to say that I can't really remember another time where we've been at this point in the season and both MVP races have felt like if this one particular person stays healthy, I mean, it's, it's just kind of a wrap. Like Ronald Acuna has already stolen 41 bases. <laughs> That's absurd. Like Man. this, this guy, he, he could have a 40, 75 season. Like I know it's going to take a while to contextualize like with the rule changes what how we can really approach stolen base numbers like what they're really going to mean like if there's going to be a guy who comes up and steals 100 bases like ricky henderson used to or something but i mean i feel pretty comfortable in saying that what ronald lacuna is doing this season is pretty singular so i think we both said before the season by the way al and mv or al and nl mvps that's kind of hard to say al and mvps on Twister, um, would be Otani and Acuna, Acuna. Nice. So Acuna, Acuna. Um, oh, round like, so uh, I think we nailed it. Nice. <laughs> yeah. We well, agreed. hey, we're, that we're was probably the so easiest prediction to make this season. Other than, I mean, if Judge stayed healthy, but like that's again, certainly Otani. I mean, uh, it's you know, Acuna had a bit of a down twenty twenty two. Like he couldn't you know really stay healthy, and then when he did, it just it wasn't. But I think we. You have to know with him, like if he stays sure healthy, he's, he's capable totally of totally broken <laughs> like, out. And what's know. super interesting to me, like, and what what actually has been for a while, if you well, it's not quite 
like unless Mookie Betts had a bounce back season or like a pitcher, I, I, there's not like a lot of options for the NL MVP outside of that. Ronald Acuna oh. is actually underperforming his expected stats right now. That's if you absurd. look at his and <laughs> considerably too, his he's got a 427 woba, 463 uh, x woba. And a couple weeks ago, I, I was going to note. I don't think I ever actually said this on the podcast, but I found it super interesting. Um, he and Corbin Carroll back at like the start of June had the exact same woba, but Acuna's ex woba expected yeah. weighted on base average for those who don't know um, was a hundred points higher than <laughs> Corbin Carroll's because Carroll was oh overperforming his ex woba, which wow. makes sense for a guy who flies like that and is yeah. an athletic freak. Ex woba, um, by the way, that on it makes sense because I think he you know. X Woba accounts for like extra base hits, like more than like WRC plus or uh, OBS. So it's like it, you know, expected to have more doubles, triples, or whatever, um, and homers, obviously. But that yeah. like for Acuna, who's, I mean, he's so fast, he's so powerful, and he's like he's a true five tool guy. I mean, that defense doesn't matter as much here, but you get what I mean. It does just, for him. He can throw the ball I mean, hundred miles an hour. That, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. But yes, yeah, it, that's yeah, that is yeah. a part of his skill set, obviously. But um, I just mean offensively. Um, but yeah, he is uh, he's he's the total package. Absolutely, I think uh, not the total package. He can't pitch. Well, <laughs> true. Like, yeah, yeah. Although I mean, if he oh, wanted to, he might be able to. But Otani, you know, yeah. like like we said <laughs> yeah. with uh, recontextualizing baseball, as long as Otani's playing, you are going to be able to say, "Well, can What's he pitch?" His ERA? And have yeah. it be at least a little bit valid. I know. Like, it's, it's frustrating. Uh, if there was like, if there weren't two, that's going to like be MVPs. An, it's going to be an Aaron Judge like conversation point forever because they're contemporaries. It's going to be like they played this. Judge was never, quote unquote, Judge was never the best player in the league because of Shohei Otani or something like that. Like, it's going to be a thing forever, I have a feeling. Like, it's just going to exist. Speaking of which, I'm going to laugh so hard if Otani hits 63 home runs. I, that, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> I so don't want that to happen. I kind of do. It'd but really I would funny. be amazed. I, it would be really funny. What do you think, Nick? Do you think that's got any chance? I don't think it's going to happen, but, like, I don't know. I'm kind of, like, out of, like, ways to undersell his talent, you know? Well, yeah, like, why doubt him at this point? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. his ceiling is, like, I mean, it's, it's like, through the roof. I mean, literally. I mean, I don't know. He could do it. He could definitely do it. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to discount it. Yeah. What's his total at right now? 30? Th- uh, 31. 30? I think I said oh, at the halfway point earlier. <laughs> yeah. Man, I was incorrect. I overshot it by a couple. Well, they're there. probably what like eighty three games or something like that. So either way, yeah, he's on, um, he's on pace. That's insane. Yeah, the the fact that we aren't just instantly laughing off that possibility for a guy who's like throwing seven shutout innings consistently. Yeah, it's just what what can even be said. That's what I, I was mean, saying last week. I, there's no. It's not human words and language cannot possibly. Uh, do justice to what he does. Yeah. Just because, like, the framework that we discuss baseball in is so set and has been forever that it's just like, 
you know, you're used to talking about pitchers and hitters, but like the, I don't think you can comprehend of one guy doing both the best, like well, in a way that makes you truly respected enough. It's insane. I'm sure that we're gonna talk about Otani extensively again next week. Yep. But I and think the week after for, that. for the week, yeah, and the week after that, and the week after that. Uh-huh. But I think for now we have covered that a Unless little. Unless he bit. gets hurt or traded. Well, if he gets traded, we'll talk about it. But um, still. What's what's a headline that that you would think of to, when you summarize the first half of the twenty twenty three season? Uh, the just one word, just underperformance. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I think this year, because just looking back through our predictions, I mean, first of all, probably going to end up with every single division winner wrong. I said the Yankees, Guardians, Astros, Mets, Cardinals, Dodgers. So, I yeah. like. You know, and that's a little chalky. You might get like, the Guardians. It's, I could get. I could get <laughs> out Cleveland. of all those teams. I, think I could get Cleveland. That's absurd. Um, but going into the season, that's like a little bit chalky. I think that was kind of yeah, aligned so. with the uh, the betting odds or whatever. Um, I but think those are all like, like what what most people predicted. Yeah. I know. There's no reason to have gone against them at the time. There's no reason to believe. First of all, that the Cardinals. I I actually think. I might end up with the NL Central completely backwards. Uh, I yeah. had the I mean, Cardinals, Cubs, did. Brewers, Pittsburgh, Cincy. And it might be fully the opposite of that. Yeah. I like it's, you know, it's weird. I, I mean, this season has been the I had the Mets at 102 wins, the Braves in second with 100. At least I gave the Braves 100 wins. But I, you know, obviously I had the Yankees with 94 wins, which I that, you know, the Yankees are a whole mess on their own and, you know, just nobody could have predicted all the injuries that they would have to deal with. And the fact that Rodone is throwing his first game tomorrow is, you know, a talking point of its own. Um, but the Dodgers are not even really like, you know, they're having a good year. They're uh, like, you know, let me see. They have the eighth best record in baseball, but they've been a 500 team for the last month. So, I mean, you know, they're, they're also at their 10 games over 500, exactly like the Yankees. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's, this season has been so strange, and it started off strange, and it stayed strange, which I think, you know, every now and then in baseball, you get a weird April, maybe like spills into May a little bit, and then things kind of even out by the time you get towards the All-Star break, and, you know, afterwards, it's like, okay, well, now here come the Dodgers and the Astros, and here come, you know, the like the Braves are going to start catching up to the Mets if they have the lead, and then they're going to beat them. It's like, you know, you kind of know the script of the last few baseball seasons of what's going to happen and this year. I mean, you know, the Reds come out of nowhere. The Diamondbacks come out of nowhere. It's like... You know, it makes for a very entertaining watch, um, but it also is very frustrating to be a fan of a big market team myself, and I can't even imagine what's going on in San Diego or L.A. or, you know, I mean, Houston is going to be fine, but it's, you know, or Chicago, those poor White Sox. Yeah, um, I, I was just going to say, I think yeah. that the uh, underperformance of some of these high payroll teams, namely the Mets and the Padres, but we've also seen the Cardinals too. You can't undersell the Cardinals. Yeah, the, no. Well, the are. the Cardinals underperformance has been catastrophic. I'm just thinking like they're they're more like towards the uh, mid tier in terms of payroll. Yeah, but are they? Yeah, su- surprisingly. Wow. That is um, surprising. We've seen teams yeah. like the Dodgers, the Phillies, the Angels. I mean, now because they're not going to make the playoffs after Mike Trout's injury that we're now just mentioning for the first time yes and also the uh toronto blue jays those are like six of the top seven teams in payroll right now and of those six only the dodgers i th- i think right now would be in 
the playoff picture. Like I, I think that the Phillies and the Blue Jays maybe will probably make it, but those teams were in a lot of people's World Series predictions to yeah. start the year. And I, I think that those teams' underperformance has to be talked about in the same conversation as a lot of these uh, surging young teams like Arizona and Baltimore. Yep. Because we've seen, like I think we've said on the podcast, there's of three times. of them. There are three surging young teams. That's crazy. Yeah. The Orioles, the Diamondbacks, and the Reds. And the, yeah, right. How about the Reds? Yeah. Jeez. And even the Pirates are having like a little fun season the for Pirates them. Are they're not winning, but they're having a year. very they, odd year. They started off so hot, and then they got really cold, and I thought, okay, they're cooked. And then they got hot again, and then... They're, uh, they went cold again. They're, they're 11 and 19 over the last 30. So yeah. Now. So Baseball Reference has a most likely playoff scenario, um, which right now has the National League as the Braves as the top seed, the Dodgers and the Brewers winning their divisions with the Diamondbacks, Marlins, and Giants in the wild card. AL is the Rays, Rangers, and Twins winning their divisions with the Astros, Yankees, and Orioles as their wild cards. Uh, the only problem that I have with this is having the Dodgers winning the West. I I don't know if they're going to do that. Um, they're I, still my prediction at this point. Uh, I think we might see say. a little bit of regression. I can't commit. I can't commit to <laughs> But I will say I would be very very happy if we didn't get any. I think the Diamondbacks could do it. I feel like the Dodgers are just like gearing up to go for Otani. Oh, really that's do. absolutely what they're doing. I, I just like, mm-hmm. but that I just feel like they're not like they're not going to buy at the deadline. They're just kind of you know chilling with what they got for this season. One thing just from play it out. One thing that I will certainly change uh, from my predictions from the very start of the season is I said that I felt like the Dodgers were going to trade for Corbin Burns, and I named Bobby Miller as one of the trade candidates. I no longer think they would be interested in doing that. Um, and I I also mentioned the Orioles as a potential landing spot for Burns, and I'm now switching that to my main prediction for where he goes at the trade deadline. Uh, as we've seen just from the past couple weeks, uh, from the guys that who who they've promoted, like Jordan Westberg and Colton Cowser, uh, Joey Ortiz, a couple weeks before right. that, their farm system is insane, and that is just the yeah. tip of the iceberg. They have the number one prospect in baseball with Jackson Holiday. Um, they're about to draft another kid, number seventeen, this year. They've still got Heston Kierstad, the number two pick, who's going crazy in the minors, and it just seems like every other week some new kid pops up out of Baltimore. So Nick, you're the you're the prospect guy, right? So if you had to guess yeah. who's going to have the best farm system in that next year at this time. Um that's tough. Uh man, I don't know. Or at least That's a really good ranked. question. Yeah. Um maybe like top 3 or top 5. Yeah. That's a little easier. Orioles I think will still be up there for sure. Um I mean the Rangers, they have a guy Sebastian Walcott who is 17 and looks like he could be a number one prospect this time next year. Yeah. Um, they got Evan Carter. They got some, they got some talent They're and they're really good at the major league level too. And then, I don't know, maybe the reds, even though they promoted a lot of guys, like they have so much talent, like at the lower levels, like 18, 19 year olds, just popping off like Hector Rodriguez, Carlos Jorge, Ricardo Cabrera. They have a lot of guys 
Um, the Reds are in really good shape for the future. I'll, so I'll just say that. Th- like, I know this isn't like a discussion that we you know planning on having, but for some, I just keep I can't stop thinking about the Yankees for this because they are a, a team that has refused to rebuild and break down and do the whole draft thing for so long, which is why they're a team that's mainly built of old free agent signings or you know big acquisitions and the whole you know they're the Yankees is what they do but in this season that has been so rocky and so many injuries just there are now like the Orioles have they are going to have guys blocked for years I mean and same with the Reds same with the Diamondbacks like they have you know just too much talent at the major league level for these guys to just like if you're the Yankees sell off something and try to get your hands on some young talent because you desperately need it and like this is um, who would you do sell off like specifically? Do you I, I, Glaber is like the only answer, or Peraza, yeah. or you know you could do uh, one of these prospects. Uh, maybe you could get something for a uh, Davy, a uh, Luis Heel. Uh, you know the bullpen. Even uh, you could dip into the bullpen, sell off Marinaccio. Or I know, think I love these guys too. I don't want my like Davy and Heel might get you like a Nothing. chicken sandwich. No, but <laughs> I'm saying you could throw them in there. You know they're still young. I mean Davy Garcia is like 22. Yeah, like, but he. It hasn't no. been good in three years. I, yeah, but that's way know. more important than being young. That's true. There's still a lot that you could change. I don't know. He um, also did just have Tommy John, but he's like shown good flashes when he's there. I don't know. It's maybe not them, but I'm saying the bullpen though, especially because they consistently have good bullpen arms, and everyone shows up and is good. And I feel like they're probably going to trade Nick Ramirez at the deadline because he's like a classic Yankee story where he shows up out of nowhere is good you know they maybe he's like tapping into something with the pitching coach that if he goes somewhere else won't be a problem they'll just sell him off while he's doing well they can just churn out guys like nick ramirez yeah yeah it's yeah i understand that yeah and that that being more so that he is completely replaceable unfortunately (laughs) um like Jimmy Cordero. See you, bitch. Oh, man. Yeah. we yeah. God, we just talked last week I know, about we a Yankees just pitcher this. with domestic violence. Yeah. And now the if week after Jimmy Cordero suspended for the rest of the season. That, yeah. Has he not been cut yet? That's absurd. I don't, I don't know. I, 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 don't I, know. I think they're probably going to go with the like investigation or whatever. But yeah. I say just get rid of him. Like, my God. Yeah. It's such a plague in professional it's sports. It's unbelievable how often it happens. Um, a few more headlines that I wanted to touch on for the first half of 2023 before we get into our mock draft. Um, the Tampa Bay Rays and Oakland A's dichotomy was fun to watch for a while, like especially in April when the Rays started off 14-0 and and the Athletics were off to you know the one of the worst they weren't starts. 14 were they? no they weren't okay, I, was gonna say, I don't i don't remember but i hope not yeah i think they started out like oh and six maybe but yeah. they 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 got a win somewhere in there but then for a while they were on pace to be the worst team in modern history before they broke off a nice little seven no, game they almost streak. have a better record than the royals which is they're insane tied. because the Royals are built to like not compete. They're well, I mean, honestly, to. they they are kind of built to compete. I think they're, they're preparing to. I don't think they have enough like they, they were or, other uh, talent outside of the really young guys in Salvador Perez um, and Zach Greinke, who's yeah, ancient but, at this point. But yeah, right now I think the Atlanta Braves are just head and shoulders above everyone else in baseball. They I think might be they're the best team there. 
you know, we'll see what their health situation is like for the rest of the season. Are you aware of what their record is stacked over their last 30 games? No. Would you like to take a guess of what twenty four and six? Twenty five and five. Wow. That's remarkable. <laughs> yeah. Um kinda scary. They're real good. Nick, how do you feel about some of these teams? Do you feel like are the Braves the best team in baseball? Is Tampa Bay on that tier? Maybe Texas in that range? Like how do you see the best teams in baseball sitting here on July sixth? I don't know. I mean the Braves their offense is insane. We all know about, you know, Matt Olson, Acuna, Austin Riley, those guys. I don't know if they have the pitching depth to carry them into the postseason. Um, I, huh. There's something about the Rays that scares me as well with the postseason, but I trust them more. Is it that they never to, do great in the postseason? <laughs> they don't, yeah. And, and they, they get a little too cute as well. But I trust them to kind of, you know, just – recycle arms to just bring up healthy pitchers to contribute than I think I do with the Braves at this point. Like the Braves have kind of, they've been trying out different arms like Schuster and Smith Shaver and no one's really stuck. I, I feel like they need to acquire some pitching at the deadline. I, I feel like they're still that. a little bit weak. Yeah. I don't disagree. I They also are just made up of like, they're like a Frankenstein team. It's <laughs> like always, every year. It's just like this patchwork of dudes who just show up and somehow they, you know, overachieve while they're there and just, I don't. The know. Rays we're talking about? Yeah, I'm yeah. talking about the Rays. Okay. I, you know, I just. Um, I thought you meant Atlanta. He was talking about the Rays. I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> I, I, I'm looking at the Rays. Okay, uh, we're just looking at a different page. <laughs> okay. I, I, that. You started off with the Rays, and I had a thought. I did, but, yeah. That was a little confusing. Um, I don't know. I They're just not a team with – other than, like, Randy Rosarena, who's, like, a dude who's now done it in the playoffs a few times. Um, they don't have a lot of guys who've been there who have, like, a track record or, you know, any kind of reliability in being, like, go-to guys in a playoff series. Not, I'm not saying that I don't think that they couldn't, you know, go on a run and be really good and, you know, make – a deep run into the playoffs. Of course, they're capable of that, um, especially with the AL kind of being pretty weak this year. I don't know, but do you I think just, it's weak or do you think it's just spread out? Like, I, do you I think, think it's just, just the Rays and the Rangers? Win? I think that's it. I like. I don't. I don't trust right anyone now, else though, in the like, division. I to, think that or in the league to do anything. Like, there are certainly other teams in the American League, though, that I think will look significantly different from how they look now sure you can never count out the astros yeah. we've had this conversation i a million think times. astros yankees blue jays even like if the yankees get health, health is just the only question yeah. for the yankees. if they are healthy they are obviously like i i think more so than the rays they have a chance to do like make a lot of noise in the playoffs it's just it's health speaking of the rays one name that we absolutely have to mention when when we're talking about the first half of 2023 is Wander Franco, uh, who's got just about four war and the first half of the season. Uh, he's got 10 homers swiped 27 bags. He's walking almost 10% of the time. He's got an elite strikeout rate. Uh, and he's, this is his first real season where he's getting everyday run too. Yeah. So um, uh, I, I was just going to say last yeah. year we, he was essentially lost to, um, injuries and a lot of people were super scared going into this season that you know he might just be a, an injury case or maybe he wasn't going to pan out to what they predicted him to be but 
right now he's, he's got every game this year. He's got thirteen offensive war and thirteen defensive war. That's stupid. Like <laughs> that's stupid. How's that even um, he's fully justifying that eighty grade prospect tag that Fangraphs slapped on him a few years back. Uh, no one else has gotten that since yet. Uh, truly one of a kind player, and he's living up to that now. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch what he can do in this year in the postseason. Another thing I think you absolutely have to talk about when you talk about 2023 is going to be how there's quite a bit of coastal elitism in the standings (laughs) page. Both the American League Central and the National League Central have been incredibly weak this year, with the AL East being just the most stacked division in all of sports. Uh, The American League West having a couple of teams playing above their heads. There's only one team in a central division in the top 10 of the whole league. Insane. In standings. I'm assuming you can guess who it is. It's the Reds? Of course. Yeah. They're ninth. They're right ahead of the Yankees record-wise. Are they really? They are. Wow. Technically tied 48 and 39, but they're... I I don't know if they're even playing tonight, but we're about to lose, so... (laughs) Imagine somebody telling you that, that the Reds would have a better record than the Yankees going into the All-Star break, and I would kind of be fine with it. <laughs> it's Well, that and also that the Yankees are probably still going to make the playoffs. They might, yeah. You combine those two things, and that's absurd. It's crazy. Yeah. It's just the Reds have been that good, so. And then, of course, the eternal storm cloud over the game of baseball, but all sports in general injuries especially to the arm we've seen and nick i I really want to tag you in on this one because i think you have quite a bit of knowledge about pitchers and about like what trends there are sort of in how they can stick stay on the field in a season where we've seen tommy john surgery or severe pitching injuries to jacob Degrom, jeffrey springs dustin may luis garcia Tyler Malley, Herman Marquez, Ian Anderson, Lou Trevino, Cade Cavalli. Um, how do you how do you feel about this? Just as a trend in Major League Baseball, I know that pitching injuries have been on the rise so much in past years, and this just feels like another step up in how many guys we've been excited about, and then they've gone down for a full year. And uh, it's just, it just it sucks for them, of course. It sucks for the game. And, you know, whatever can be done to prevent these injuries or whatever trends. But, Nick, what, what do you make of all this? Yeah, I mean, so, like, the number one kind of predictor of arm injuries is how, how much effort and how close to, like, your maximum effort you pitch with on a regular basis, right? Like, say if you're, say you're a guy who can top out, you know, in a bullpen session at like 99, but, you know, in, in, the, in the start, you'll sit like 93 to 96, right? You're kind of giving yourself some leeway there between like your absolute max effort and what you typically pitch. And like DeGrom <laughs> in particular is like full throttle, like trying to increase his velo every single year. So like he's an outlier in that. He definitely. I don't know if it's him or if it's the Mets pitching coaching staff or who, but like 
they're like literally trying to get him injured every single year. It's kind of baffling because I think he'd still be pretty damn good if he just sat like 96 or 97 instead of like 101. Um, so but like, I, I think that everyone's just trying to increase their velocity. Like that's what it's all about. Um, on, the, on the pitching side, like that's been the trend over the last like five, six years. Um, and, and guys are pushing themselves in, in games as hard as they possibly can in a lot of cases. And, that's why we're seeing those injuries, and it's an, it's an unfortunate trend. I don't know what the solution is, but I think it's going to continue for a while. <laughs> Does it have you worried about a Paul Skeens? Because I've been thinking recently, you know, with the way that he profiles compared to a lot of the you know other hot prospect pitchers, I'm really reminded of Steven Strasburg, like very strongly. Um, and I, you know, obviously, I I don't want to say that I even think that he'll end up on the same career path, even though Strasburg, you know, ended up with a respectable career. Um, Great but it was career. just derailed. Yeah, but it was just derailed by injuries so often. Like I, you know, and now has the worst contract in arguably the history of baseball. Um, so it's, you know, it's I think hard to. What- what we're you know we're talking about is like you know guys like Gavin Williams too you know people who these prospects who are coming up and like so much of their game is that their stuff is that they throw a hundred and like that's the appeal yeah. of their arm and like that's what they it's scary their though money that's, on yeah. and like how they build their career and like this is there there are more of these guys than there have ever been before right. and they're throwing harder than they ever have before. And so we're seeing many more surgeries than we ever have before. Right. Very high risk, high reward. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. Nick, what do you think about Skeens being in that same ilk of these, uh, you know, these I, guys whose careers get It's, it's really hard to say. Like, it, it really depends on, like, what you can max out at and what you're sitting at. One thing that I'm encouraged by with Skeens is that he's pumping, like, 100 on his, like, 120th pitch of the game sometimes. And that, that's awesome. That's incredible. Like, it's almost like a Verlander where... Yeah, that's terrifying. And, and Yankees fans Actually, are going to learn that Rodon point. does this, too. Right. Uh, Carlos Rodon does this, too. They'll sit... You know, Rodon and Verlander will sit, like, low 90s first couple innings. Fourth, fifth inning, they'll get up to 95. And then 6-7, they're pumping 97-98. Yeah. Um, Skeens seems to have that kind of stamina as well. So... I don't know. Um, with with Skeens, it's uh, I, I'm not I'm not concerned by a prospect who throws hard, but I definitely would be concerned about a prospect who's maybe exerting themselves a little bit more than they should be. Okay, interesting. Um, that's it's also it's funny you mentioned Verlander because I completely forgot about you know the fact that he's been doing this for so long. He's not really a guy who's been injured in his career, um, but he does do that. And actually, I I saw him pitch when he was a Detroit Tiger. Um, in Detroit, I went to a game. I, Miguel Cabrera got pulled out of that game in the first inning because he was sick. I remember that. Oh, but I was like, man, we get to go see, you know, Miguel Cabrera and and Justin Verlander. And Verlander was pitching that day, and he threw like a hundred and one in the ninth inning, like of a complete game that he was throwing. It was amazing. And I, you know, I I, I was little, but I was like, holy crap! Like, I remember thinking, this is something special. And you know, he's still doing well, maybe not to that degree, but um, well, actually, he won the Cy Young last year, but um, yeah, that's pretty damn good. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, but you know, he's still still doing it. So I guess I, I don't know. It can be done. So there you go. Be like Justin Verlander, not like uh, Degrom. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. Um, and then I think the last main thing that I wanted to touch on before we get into the draft is just the uh, first half 
emergence of a number of rookie phenoms. Uh, Corbin Carroll, FR mentioned, uh, one of the league leaders already in war, totally running away with NL Rookie of the Year. He was the favorite going into the year, and he's showing exactly why. But also Ellie De La Cruz in Cincinnati, who we've been excited about on the, the podcast for like the past three weeks or so. A uh, guy hit the home run last night. He had three BBE over 105 mile an hour, miles an hour. Um, and he made a little bit of waves when the Nationals manager got his panties in a bunch over his celebration. Right. But Davey I, we Martinez, don't particularly care Martinez. about that. Yeah. Um, but then we've also got Taj Bradley from the Rays, who has come up and established himself as an elite prospect and bona fide ace and then uh, in the past couple weeks yuri perez is pitching like a robot except for that start against the braves which we don't need to talk about but uh, and then we have jordan walker from the cardinals who made the team out of camp he got sent down for a while fell in value a little bit but he's come back up and then he's hit for about 20 games in a row i think We've got on the mound Bryce, Bobby, and Mason Millers. <laughs> all three of those guys. Uh, Bryce absurd. Miller with the elite. I mean, all three of them with the elite fastballs, but I would say Bobby Miller with the best overall arsenal. Um, Anthony Volpe. His strikeout rate is 22% this season. Okay. Yeah. Mason Miller's been down for an injury for a while. Been down with an injury for a while over in Oakland. But then Anthony Volpe has certainly been turning it on with the Yankees uh, over the past few weeks or so since he ate his chicken parm. I was going to, if you didn't say it. I I already mentioned Jordan Westberg, Colton Kowser from the O's. And then. Cleveland has had some yeah, nice Kowser young doesn't pitching. know what losing is yet. Yeah, geez. Uh, Guardians have had Tanner Bybee up in their rotation looking great. Um, Logan T. Allen was super successful, even though they did end up sending him back down to AAA. And then uh, Gavin Williams has found a bit, bit of success in his first few starts and as the guy who has the highest ceiling of any of those guys so uh nick and anybody that i forgot in that and anybody else for these young rookies young talent that you want to shout out yeah i mean i'm looking at the reds at the top of the nl central i mean you mentioned ellie de la cruz absolutely electric talent but let's not forget about spencer steer um just slugging guy who can play all over the diamond especially in the infield matt mclean looks like he, you know, a middle infield staple for them for a long time. Hits for power, hits for average, steals bases, plays a good field. I'm Andrew Abbott came up five weeks ago, I think, and has been dominating, especially over his last couple starts. Um, those three guys are really like the reason why the Reds are on top of the NL Central right now. I think that their front office has done a great job of like pushing you know, pushing these young guys to the big leagues and they're they're answering the call and they have a couple of other guys at AAA as well. Christian Encarnacion Strand could get called up in the next couple of weeks. He's like a first baseman, third base kind of guy, slugger, big power, should play really well in that ballpark. They have Noel V. Marte, who 
Um, is a big time prospect for a while. Um, could get the call maybe in September. We'll see. Uh, but I mean, the Reds, man, uh, they have they've had countless guys come up this year and just really, uh, really perform. It's been impressive. Hell yeah. Eddie Royo, Cam Collier, and Noel V. Marte on the way. Yeah, Cam Collier's like a little baby. He's like 12. But <laughs> well, on, by on the way, I mean like in, yeah. the, in the system. I'm just saying. Um, I think Man. Ezekiel Tovar from Colorado deserves a shout-out in that conversation as yeah. well. You know, he had a terrible April, but uh, he's turned it on a little bit recently. He's put a few out there in that super high elevation and cores. Um, I think maybe we could continue to see him break out in the second half and, and beyond. Um, Ezekiel Duran, only 50-something games last year, this year. He's oh, really God, yeah, together, Ezekiel yeah. Duran. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of exciting young talent all around baseball. Um, I think that is going to wrap it up for our first half. Brody, do you have something else to add? One last thing. Yeah. Um, speaking of all the young talent, is this the most that you remember ever uh, I'm going to say no because, really? well, I'm going to, yes, but no with a asterisk, I guess, because I think in like 2018, 2019, when like mm. Cunha, Vladdy and Soto and all of those guys were coming up, Otani yeah. even was that same time. Like everybody yeah. was kind of like freaking out at the number of superstars that all seem to emerge at the same time. Fernando Tatis right. as well. Um, Maybe that's just the way baseball is. But there is was now. also the, <laughs> the juiced ball. So, like, those oh, guys true. were hitting, like, yeah. 40 home runs in their Glaber rookie Torres. season. I yeah. mean, if... Glaber had 38 that year. Yeah, if Ellie was around for the juiced ball oh in 2018, God. like, what would, what would we be saying about him, you know? So Man. I don't think it's a super easy comparison. But I will say in the few years since they've... I mean, I, I don't even know what they're doing with the baseballs anymore. But at, at least since, I guess, the pandemic, I would say. I mean, this this seems like the best young crop I can remember. Yeah. I, I This, for some reason, feels different to me than, like, I you know, maybe because all the guys that you mentioned in the last crop were all power hitters. And that could be a product of the fact that that's, you know, that was the juice ball. Like, I'm saying, like, this is, like, feels like all-around talent. At you know, mainly speed too. I feel like speed is a huge part of all of these guys' games, especially. I mean, Carroll, De La Cruz, yeah, Volpe. You know, like all you know, these hot young prospects all have a weird affinity for stolen bases that I feel like I I don't remember that being a thing in baseball where there's this all this young wave of talent that is ready to go hog wild on the bases. <laughs> it's like it's kind of fun. It definitely seems like being a five tool player is definitely a thing that all of these guys are or more and more of these guys are starting to have in common like if i would quibble with anything that that you just said would don't quibble i'm like i'm gonna quibble <laughs> don't quibble with me it would be that like you bear you hardly even see too many prospects anymore that don't that like can't put up high exit velocities like right. that's now like that's the, like the so much jewel. of what yeah. these guys are being trained for like i, I don't know like I think that the fact that when, like, Masataka Yoshida came over from Japan and, like, he doesn't have, like, a ton of pop in his bat. Like, he's got some, but he's more of a contact guy. Like, even seeing that, I was kind of like, whoa, this is, like, a different type of player than, like, right. what we usually see. Like, you know, when it reminds me of, like, last April when Stephen Kwan yes. came up. And, like, that's, that's yeah. a guy who was, like, a total slap 
hitter and the, there's been oh god we can't talk about 2023 without mentioning Luis Arise. Oh right. Um yeah. but I was going to say Luis Arise another guy who you know we've talked about could he hit 400. I think I'm going to pretty confidently at this point say no because it right. would mean like he would have to hit like 425 for something for the rest of the way. That's absurd. Um and I just don't think that that is the best possible version of his game. Um, He's but, also been in the league for five years, by the way, which I did not. Read. Yeah, did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, it's crazy. Nick, would you, would you have anything to add onto this uh, conversation, just about you know prospect development and like how some of these guys are trained and what or the end goal is for a lot of these guys and for their their trainers? Yeah, I mean, well, power is you know first and foremost. Um, uh, not chasing at pitches outside the zone is a huge emphasis now. Um, when we talk about guys in the MLB draft, I'm sure that's going to be a big, a big thing we're talking about too. Um, but when it comes to the speed, I think it's important to remember that this rookie crop has been playing with these rules that are at now at the MLB level um, for the last two years in the minor leagues. So they're kind of used to it. They know how to exploit the rules. They know they're used to um, the kind of nuances that go with it. And also, they're they're incredibly athletic as well. So it's kind of like those confluence of factors is why I think we're seeing all these rookies just like blazing on the base paths. It's kind of it's really fun to watch because it's I, I feel like baseball swings back and forth between yeah once everyone kind of focuses on one tool all of a sudden the guys who do the opposite become you know the desired pieces right like baseball swings between speed and power every few years i feel like you know the it's it's kind of it's what makes baseball so interesting and different from other sports is there are so many different ways to play the game that like it's you have different chess pieces so it makes it very fun but you um it's uh you know it's it's why you gotta love baseball (laughs) you know everyone is different you have you know jose altuve and aaron judge can play the same game or bartolo Colon can hit a home run it's just you know it's a beautiful game. I think that's enough. Uh, you said it, man. Yeah. Uh, Birdie, you asked if this is the best prospect or young or crop of young talent I've ever seen. I can certainly say that it's the fastest. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's very fair. With Corbin and Ellie yeah. specifically. I do um, feel like in maybe mm, like early 2010s with like Harper and Trout and like not that they were fast, but like the hype around them, I think was more than anything that I remember. Right, and Strasburg too. But that was a different type of prospect. They were all just like, these guys are all going to be mega stars, and they were right. But <laughs> you know, yeah, I this mean, is a little different. The way that we even view prospects compared to like ten ten years ago, or even know, that five, was so like long when, ago. When some of those guys, point, like it's yeah. just worlds apart and we're going to talk about that in just a second when we talk about paul Skeens compared to you know how garrett cole and steven strasberg were drafted uh but actually speaking of which i think we've beaten to the first half of the season to death here yeah um let's like to get into uh the uh mlb draft but i think first we're going to take a quick break sure um and we will be right back with you on the mudville podcast thank you for listening
for the first ever Mudville Mock. Brody has tapped out for this portion of the episode. Uh, He went to go save the local ski lodge from a capitalist millionaire who invested in the land to turn it into a strip mall. (laughs) He's trying to frack the mountain, as Brody just said. So we're going to... We're, we're going to let him do his thing for a while, but we're back and we're going to do our MLB mock draft with Mr. Prospect Sauce, the Sultan of Sauce, the New York Yankee, the <laughs> yeah. Don of Deals. Wow, these are these are 80 grade nicknames. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm hyped. This is a good draft. Um, I'm not going to lie. like I, I didn't really start digging into this until like, two three weeks ago like it's my mind's just been on all the other hundreds of prospects and also i love the nba draft too so i've been following that um as well so it's been it's been cool over the last two three weeks to really dive deep into this um and yeah i mean this is a great draft this is it's deep it has, it has star power it's got really everything that uh that you may like honestly it's draft season man we had football even not not too long ago and then nba draft just week and a half ago victor wembenyama now we get to see dylan cruz and paul skeens what a time to be alive oh yeah it's crazy like superstars all around and baseball's a little bit different obviously you got to wait a little bit but i don't know maybe someone could draft skeens and push him up to the majors this year in the bullpen so who knows i could (laughs) see it like I'm, i'm really happy that he didn't pitch in that national championship game because if he did and he threw like a good amount of pitches i think that probably would have killed any possibility right. of him like getting any work like they probably just whichever team picks him probably would have just like had him sit out for a while until like the fall right but and yeah. they still might I mean, who knows but i would really like to see him in like pittsburgh or washington's yeah. bullpen or whatever not to s- spoil <laughs> my my mock here um <laughs> oh yeah washington would washington would shut him down for the season he would not see paul skeen's in yeah. any capacity, the minors, majors, whatever. Yeah, Pirates. I mean, they're kind of contending, sort of, kind of like in a, in a bad division. Yeah, maybe. They, God, it's there's <laughs> such a weird season. <laughs> Just yeah, have no idea what they're season. doing. Um, but yeah, we're talking about the 2023 MLB draft, which starts this Sunday night and runs through Tuesday. This draft class is totally stacked. There are five players who in most years would be consensus choices to go number one overall. And they are all in the same draft this year. Uh, if you've been following the draft at all, you know who we are talking about. But if not, the first name out of that bunch is Dylan Cruz out of LSU. He is the complete package. He is a center fielder with an uncanny ability to hit all speeds and all locations. Uh, he's a five-tool player, regarded as arguably the most complete prospect in a decade, maybe, outside from, like, Adley. Like, that's the only other one I could think of for, like, position players since, you know, the past 10 years or so. Uh, he was yep. – Dylan Cruz had been thought of as the consensus numero uno pick for pretty much the entire process – but over the past couple of weeks, especially, that has been called into question as his teammate, Paul Skeens, has emerged as the best pitching prospect since 
Garrett Cole or Steven Strasburg, as we've been saying, as scouts have been saying for so long now. Um, Skeens has a very similar arsenal to Cole. Um, he may even throw a little bit harder, which is crazy. Like nobody had seen that even like Garrett Cole is the hardest throwing <laughs> college prospect for so long. Um, if you watched Paul Skeens in the college world series, you saw that he could slide into an MLB rotation right now and get outs. Uh, they'll pro- whoever would, would, like you said, would, whichever team takes him will probably rest him for a while, but it's possible that we see him in the, out of the pen before the end of the year. And you certainly can't leave Wyatt Langford out of that conversation as the other college name who is in this tier. Um, all, all three of these guys were playing in the College World Series final just a couple weeks ago as uh, LSU beat Florida, Wyatt Langford's school out of Gainesville. But if you watched those games, this kid hit nukes. He hit multiple home runs over 450 feet. I believe he's the only college player to ever do that. This is a kid whose bat rivals Dylan Cruz. Uh, He's got more power, but the quality of contact is not always as great from Langford. Um, But he is certainly, if Cruz and Skeens were in last year's draft or if Cruz had declared in 2020 like he almost did um people would be regarding Wyatt Lankford as like the most complete prospect since Adley or since whoever you want to you want to talk about uh so it's it's really important to make that distinction I think when we're talking about a guy like Wyatt Lankford because his superstar potential really should not be ignored um yeah and then yep, the, totally agree. Yeah, and then the so those were the three college guys in contention to go number one. Uh, and then we have out of high school Max Clark and Walker Jenkins. Uh, if you've heard of Max Clark already, it's probably from Instagram. He has over three hundred and thirty thousand <laughs> followers. He's very responsive uh, to kids who go on to his profile and ask him, you know, for advice or like hitting tweak or something. I don't know, but uh, it's, it's very cool to see an MLB draft prospect already getting his name out there so much like a kid who seems to seek the uh, limelight, I guess, who's very confident in himself and is ready to, get to work um nick i wanted to ask you actually what what do you think about max clark because i've heard people's you know i've i've, I've heard the like positive sides to the social media thing but then i've also heard you know people say that it might distract from his game or that it might like it might just ultimately end up being a net negative for him um where do you land on that i think i can kind of see validity to both arguments um, yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like a boomer argument to be like, oh, like, why are you on social media? Like, why are you on Instagram and TikTok instead of like focusing on baseball? Um, I mean, I, I do under, I do get it though. Like there's a, it's, a, it's almost like a fine line between like promoting yourself and it becoming a distraction. And I think that we're, we've yet to really see how it's going to impact, uh, Max Clark. You know, I, I think he's a great kid. Um, his quote unquote makeup, I think is solid. Um, I don't really like that term too much, but <laughs> I think he's a good kid <laughs> and, um, I believe in him, uh, 
from that standpoint. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, I could definitely see it spiraling and becoming a, a, a clubhouse distraction, but I could also see it becoming a thing like Julio Rodriguez promoting himself, building his brand, promoting the game of baseball at large. I think that's huge in, 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 you know, in the time we're at now, um, we need more stars promoting baseball, I think, in social media. Absolutely. So I think it could be incredibly powerful. I think it also could be a distraction. Who knows? This kid's 18, right? Like, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's an 18-year-old kid. Like, what 18-year-old yeah. kid isn't on social media? So exactly. we'll see how he develops as a pro um, in that way. But I don't have too many too many concerns. Yeah. And then the uh, fifth name is Walker Jenkins, uh, left-handed slugger. Beautiful swing. Um, I, I don't have quite as much to say about Jenkins, but he seems like he's kind of in that uh, Dylan Cruz school, maybe with a little more mm-hmm. potential for pop. Like I think he's the, like he he fills out huge. Like the guy is fucking. He's a tank. Um, <laughs> I I think he's got like I don't know. I've I've seen scouts say like thirty homer potential, but just like looking at him, I think he has forty. <laughs> Um, I don't know, yeah. but, um, those are the five guys who could go number one. Um, I think some quite much more likely than others, but with the MLB draft, you never really know because there are so many things that can go into it. Namely, uh, pool money teams can choose to, um, save on their pick and draft a guy under slot like for example if the pirates thought dylan cruz was the best player worth nine million but max clark at 7.3 or whatever was more valuable they could opt to choose max clark instead and then spread the money that they saved out throughout like future draft picks and i'm not really sure how many they have i don't think it's it's anything crazy they have a couple second rounders. I mean, it's it's a viable strategy. We've seen the Orioles especially have great success with this strategy when yeah. they took Heston Kierstad at an underslot deal. Um, it wasn't that year, but they did end up taking like Kobe Mayo and Gunnar Henderson on overslot deals when they had multiple first rounders. So it can work. The Pirates tried it in 2021 where they took Henry Davis first on a deal, and then they ended up taking Anthony Solomedo, um I think Bubba Chandler, it, it, it has mixed success. It's it's a decent strategy. I have heard rumors. I'm not plugged into any sources or anything, but I've heard rumors from legit sources like Jim Callis and um, Keith Law have said that they've heard Max Clark could go first overall um, to free up some of that bonus pool money for their second rounders to try to buy down more talented guys at those slots. So we'll see. I mean, that's the, that's the economics of the MLB draft. It, it really isn't. A best available game it's more of a how can i most efficiently and effectively spread my money around kind of game yeah and that's that's the kind of thing that really drove me crazy when i was putting together that this mock like i found myself just going back and forth and like really it just i don't think it's worth it to try and predict which teams are gonna go like (laughs) under slot like the only the only thing that i could even try looking at would be like which teams have extra like second rounders or maybe like who's done it in the past like i definitely jotted down like this these teams in the first round like who their last three draft picks were um like i think that's certainly super relevant 
mm-hmm. uh, information when like discussing who you think they're going to take now. But like, as for who is going to say, let's cut, cut a deal with this guy. It's, it isn't worth speculating on. Um, so it's quite likely that a number of these picks that we're about to make um, look a little bit silly on Sunday night because, you know, teams are going to do something crazy. Like nobody predicted the Rangers to take Kumar Rocker last year. And like that was another thing that went into my prep for this draft. Like I almost had them take Noble Meyer. I, I, I didn't, but um, like, I don't know. That That's the kind of thing that I could see them doing. But um you want to just get into it? I feel like we've we've hyped it up enough. Let's do it. <laughs> All Let's right. do it. Um, how do you want to do this? Do you want to say maybe you could start? You get us off with the uh, number one, and then we could just go like gotcha. two at a time. Like I'll I take two, you take two, and then we just go to go to thirty. Sure, two at a time. I'm yeah. down with that. But like start right, cool. start with one. All right. Well, I'm going to take Dylan Cruz number one. I think that Paul Skeens, the upside probably is greater. Than, than, than Cruz. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I think the college hitter, the guy's performed at the SEC, who doesn't really have any big warts in his game, is the guy you have to take number one. Um, I think he's a franchise caliber player. I don't know if he has super, super, superstar upside, but I think he's got a perennial all star upside. Um, and then number two, I'm still on the clock. It's going to be Paul Skeen. Sorry, I had to do it. Um, I'm a little, con- I don't want to say concerned. He's not a perfect pitching prospect. It's not like he was made in like some driveline lab somewhere in MLB The Show. His fastball, it's got a little sinking action. It's not ideal in the modern game, but he throws so damn hard. He has such good command of his arsenal. Elite slider, changeup flashed in the College World Series, looked really good. Great body. I don't have any concerns. I think that he can be coached a little bit to refine that fastball a little bit, and he could absolutely be a Verlander, Strasburg type of arm. Only reason I would take Cruz over him is just the health, right? Like pitchers, we talked about in the first half, they get injured all the time. You took the words right out of my mouth, man. Like I, Up until <laughs> last night, actually, I did have uh, the Pirates taking skeins, but I ultimately changed it to Cruz. Um, and I like, I, like you said before, I considered... Max Clark, like I thought even, what if they thought like Wyatt Langford was going to put up similar offensive production to Cruz and they could get him for a few million shy or whatever. Like I really, like I, I considered all of the options here um, and ultimately I, I also went with Dylan Cruz at one just because I think when you have like every scout's dream of what a hitting prospect looks like and also every scout's dream of what a pitching prospect looks like and you compare those guys against each other there isn't a way to go wrong but like you said just the way that people view pitching prospects as compared to 2010 or whatever is just so much different because there's always like that risk or I mean, you you almost have to assume like that a guy is going to get yeah. Tommy John, especially a guy who throws like a hundred miles an hour. Like you just have to say, I mean, there's going to be a year or fifteen months or something out of his career at one point where we just have to assume that that's going to be written off as an injury. Um, yeah. And like when you're thinking about that, and you have the number one pick, and a guy like Dylan Cruz is on the board, I'm I'm going with Cruz. So we're totally in agreement there and then i also had washington taking skeins too 
like this is the one that I I kind of feel most confident about. Like if the Pirates do end up taking Clark or Langford, like I still kind of think Washington takes Paul Skeens. Like I and not that I would necessarily agree with that. Like like I just said, like if I if I'm taking between Cruz and Skeens, I'm going to have to go with Cruz just because hitter over pitcher. But uh, Washington, especially like if you look how that team is planning like their next like five years or so i'd say um i mean it it would be very enticing to have like an outfield with james wood and wyatt langford in it but um like they don't their pitching situation is pretty dire like Cade cavalli (laughs) just had tommy john surgery um Mackenzie Gore is pretty good, but like my God, what they need Paul Skeens, like they're yes. bleeding out and he's got a huge bandage. I don't know, that's a shitty metaphor, but yeah, I I we we've both got Cruz and Skeens one two. Um and then I'll go with my, with who I had Detroit taking at three, and I also feel very confident about this one, and it's Wyatt Langford. Um I w- that's honestly all that I wrote. Like I had a like I wrote like need or tendency or whatever, and I took a little bit down for for each team. And next to Detroit, I just wrote Wyatt Langford. Um, like it's it's a pretty terrible landing spot for the guy. Like both for franchise development and ballpark factor. Like it sucks to go right. into the Tigers lineup. It sucks to go into Comerica Park, and it sucks to go work with the scouts that have watched spencer torkelson you know flounder for like a year and a half like and like that's like the most that was like the most can't miss prospect in a while too was torkelson and like he's just been kind of so far and i blame that on the tigers like i think whatever teams saw in him in 2020 like it's certainly still in there and the fact that the tigers haven't really been able to find it yet has me a little bit worried about Wyatt Langford, but uh, this is the, this is a kind of kid that I think can, is going to just mash no matter where he lands. Um, totally agree. Yeah. And then, uh, so you also had Langford at three. I did. All right. Um, then do you want me to keep going with my uh, fourth? Yeah. Yeah. Go All for right. It. Uh, what at number four, this is, uh, this is where I started to get, a little a little shaky especially because of that kumar rocker pick last year like i think this could kind of go go anywhere like i could see them taking like i said they could take an, another high school arm and go with noble meyer they could take hurston waldrop or uh, i don't think they're gonna take chase dolander or anything i could see them getting real weird with it but ultimately i did end up having them select max clark if they were playing the under slot game last year with Kumar Rocker, like I don't necessarily think that taking Clark at four is going to um, is going to like get in the way of whatever they have planned. Like I think that they're going to be able to get him at a decent slot value at four. Like I I don't think that whatever he would sign for um, would like tank their draft strategy or whatever even if they are taking the same like conservative approach to the 
the early round that, that they did last year. So you could see it going in, in any way, but I did end up having them take Max Clark. Yeah, nice. I mean, I would have gone Walker Jenkins personally. Um, I like him a little bit more than Max Clark. I just think that Jenkins has that middle-of-the-order slugger mentality, but also some deceptive athleticism as well. But, I mean, Max Clark is the guy who's going to stick in center field. He's got he's got a better pure hit tool uh, than Walker Jenkins. Um, great 70-grade speed. I mean, the power, I think, is average probably, but who knows? He honestly reminds me a little bit of um, – the high school version of Corbin Carroll, Max mm, Clark. Okay. So I, I think it's a good pick. I oh, can great. see the Rangers doing it. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't hate it. That's for sure. <laughs> I've heard uh, Michael Harris comps as well for him. What do you think of that? Yeah. You like that? Yeah, I like it. Um, I, yeah. I, I, I think any kind of like five tool hit over power uh, center fielder for sure could be a good comp for, for Max Clark's upside. Great. Um, so you had Walker Jenkins in at four? I did, and I am on the clock for two, right? Um, yeah, who have you got? So I, who have you I got mean, for, uh, so five like my six. real life, the real life mock drafts that I've seen, um, they all say that the Twins, if if Max Clark goes before, they're they're not going to take uh, Walker Jenkins. They're going to take like they're going to take like Jacob Wilson or something. And I'm not going to do that because I don't run the Twins, and I don't like Jacob Wilson very much. We'll get to later. <laughs> but I'm going to pick. Like I run the twins here and I would take Walker Jenkins um, for all the reasons I just said. Um, And then with the A's at six, um, this is probably going to be the first surprise. I'm I'm taking Matt Shaw. I'm Um, I'm a huge Matt Shaw guy. So he's a shortstop second base kind of guy out of Maryland. He won the Cape Cod MVP last summer, which I really value. I like that track record with wood bats in the Cape Cod League. Really good field to hit. Really good plate approach. Big-time exit velocities. I mean, this dude's a gamer. I think that the A's need a position player to build around. I think Max... I think... Sorry. (laughs) Matt Shaw is a guy that you can slot in in a two-spot, in a three-spot, and that lineup in two to three years and call it a day. I think that Matt Shaw is a guy that the A's need. That's awesome. Um, I also had, I guess I can't say also, but I had Walker Jenkins going number five to the twins. Uh, so we both did have the same top five players. We didn't anticipate any, any super early, um, under slot deals, but, uh, you and I did flip flop our four and five there. And then with six, I went back and forth on this one so much because it's Oakland and like <laughs> I just don't know what they're gonna do. Like they they there aren't they aren't going to want to win for at least like three or four years because they aren't going to be the Las Vegas A's for that amount of time. And so they're never going to have any reason to try to build a winner in Oakland until they leave. They're just kinda they're gonna be kinda like haunting that stadium. So Whoever they do pick, like I feel kind of sad for. Like you're you're going into really just kind of a depressing situation. Um, and I considered like maybe they would want to take like a high schooler because like they're so far away, so they might just want to like let somebody develop. Um, but I I think that they're gonna look at a college guy. Um, and I considered Jacob Wilson here. Um, even I'm also not I'm not a huge fan of either Jacob shortstop in this draft honestly i ended up going with kyle teal at six um and my biggest 
but the it's a the catcher out of Virginia for for those who don't know. Um, Soup. This is an offensive stud, a total beast. Kyle Teal. Um, my, my biggest drawback uh, for why Oakland would take him is just I feel like they have so many catchers already in, in their farm system like why would they need another one but then i kind of thought you know soderstrom is gonna move off that and he's gonna play first and i don't really think that shay langoliers is good enough to be you know a, a part of the future plans for any franchise really even the a's that came off a little meaner than i intended to shay langoliers no offense to him i'm sure he's a great guy but i think Kyle Teal is the best value here. I think he has, um, he's got a shot to be a very uh, valuable big leaguer being a catcher with elite offensive potential. Uh, That's something that you very rarely see. Uh, And I think that the A's like, I, I, I just, I just don't see them taking a, pitcher at all just because they're like so far away from ever even wanting to win um and then like i looked at a number of short stops i considered like Braden taylor even and i i think it's teal like i think that's who i'd go with i think that's like the safest guy that fits what i think oakland's model is here at six um nice pick i like teal thank you and then i will go with my my next two as well uh, number seven, I've got Cincinnati taking Rhett Louder. Um, I, I, I know that that has been a name that they've been connected to a ton. Uh, we talked about on the first half of the podcast how they've got so many guys who feel kind of blocked already. Like their, their infield has gotten elite even so quickly, like that they're forcing like, Christian Encarnacion strand and into right field and they're moving a bunch of infielders into the outfield meanwhile like the pitching like you can never have enough pitching and like Hunter Green has been out for a while Nick Lodolo is seriously hurt Andrew Abbott looks great like you got some other kids in the minors but like if you could add Rhett Louder to this team right now like that that's super exciting like I don't love his fastball right now but if they can if they're able to find a couple of extra ticks of velo on his uh four seamer that that could really unlock the entire arsenal there because we know that the off-speed offerings are are elite um so i think that the reds are going to go with louder uh and then i think this is kind of my first surprise pick here uh i've got kc taking noble meyer um Ooh. yeah <laughs> and this is actually and it's a guy up until last night because i certainly tinkered with this again today before we we hopped on here and i had noble meyer down um at 19 to the rays but i ended up pushing him back up here because i was going to have kyle teal go to kansas city but in this scenario he is of course off the board and i think with uh, Kansas City's pick two years ago really interests me of uh, Frank Mazzucato, the high school arm who has really who's really taking a step up this year and you know they they haven't been able to develop 
anything very well in Kansas City for a while. Like, they put up five or six rookie hitters this year, and, like, they're they're competing with the A's for the worst record in baseball. So it's like, I, I don't know. I think the success of Frank Mazzucato and uh, the – the appeal of Noble Myers elite upside here um, might might be something interesting for them. Yeah, he does have big upside, and I actually could see the Royals taking him. Um, he's kind of I've heard him comped as like all the good things about Mick Abel and Andrew Painter, <laughs> which Ooh. is quite the lofty comparison yeah, right there. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, great feel for command, loud stuff, um, good pitchability, good frame. Uh, nice pick. I like it. Thank you. Who'd you have at uh, seven and eight? Um, I I would have t- I would have gone Kyle Teal at seven. Um, I, I, I for all the reasons you said, especially I like, you know how athletic he is as a catcher. I do feel like a backstop is something that the Reds are missing right now in their um their push for contention. And then at eight, actually would have gone Chase Dolander, who's still Ooh. available. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. That's yeah, very nice. But um I have the I have the Rockies and Marlins coming up, right? So nine uh, and ten. Yes. yes, you do. Okay. So I think we'll be talking about Dolander in one of these picks. Um but That's actually with the Rockies, I'm gonna go with not a pitcher. Um they took last year they took Gabriel Hughes uh pretty high, I think close to the top ten. I think he was hasn't really nine? worked out. Or no, I I think he was yeah. he was ten exactly. Yeah, it hasn't really worked out. Pitching in Colorado, the altitude, the poor pitching development, it doesn't work out. I don't think it's a good pick. I'm going to leave Dolander on the board. I'm going to take Jacob Gonzalez mm. here, uh, shortstop at Ole Miss. I just love that he's an SEC performer. I love that he has that track record of performance at the best conference in all of college baseball. I think he's incredibly well-rounded. I think there's not a tool that's plus. I don't think that there is all-star upside necessarily maybe he can sneak in a couple all-star games if he reaches the ceiling but i don't think that's really the player he is i just think he's a solid across the board offensive player and i think he's a surefire shortstop so jacob gonzalez to me is a guy who belongs in the top 10 um of a real life you know i'm always thinking fantasy i know you love to play fantasy oh yeah baseball as well but real life those guys who can play the six play shortstop lock it down be a plus glove there. That's huge. That's so valuable. I mean, he could be, he could really be, you know, I know they have Ezekiel Tovar, um, but you never, you never really want to draft for immediate need, right? You kind of draft for like three or four years. Yeah, down the road. of course. So Especially I like here. Jacob Gonzalez. Yeah. Um, and then, like and then a 10, That's I think I am going to take Chase Dolander here. Um, I, I, he had a bad college season, Chase Dolander, right? Um, yeah, he was really inconsistent. He came into the year ahead of Paul Skeens, right? Mm-hmm. He came into the year as one of the best pitching prospects um, in a long time, and for whatever reason, uh, a lot's been made about um, inconsistent mechanics. I think it can be fixed. I don't know if we should be expecting him to be the ace that he once could have been, but I think for the Marlins who have a really strong track record of developing pitchers whether it's Sandy, Trevor Rogers, Yuri, etc. It's a good landing spot. They they do this well. I like Dolander to the Marlins as a project. Nice. I do too. I think if if any team is going to be able to get 
that elite potential out of him, like especially that we saw like last year and expected to see this year before the uh, off-speed stuff sort of fell off a cliff. Um, it would it would be the Marlins. They would be able to, to fix him. Um, I think this is where we're going to sort of break off in separate directions here um, because at 9 and 10, my, mine were quite different. I had um, Colorado at 9 with Hurston Waldrop, actually. Oh, um, okay. And I did this just because I've heard them link to so many pitchers like over and over. Like if you look anywhere else, like any other mocks, any other like this is what the Rockies are looking into. Like it's very pitching heavy. And I've seen Chase Dolander link to them like so many times and like a bunch of Rhett Louder. Um, and they, they absolutely could take Rhett Louder, but in my scenario, he is off the board. Uh, and I think Hurston Waldrop at this point is kind of a guy, is kind of the guy that would probably be seen as the best arm available, especially for Colorado, uh, because he's got that deadly splitter. Um, and they're, of course, yep. Coors Field, huge elevation. Like, if, if anybody's going to be able to find, like, any sort of success pitching in Colorado like it's, it's gonna have to be a guy like a Framber Valdez type who just like initiates an insane amount of ground ball contact and like so much of that comes from the off speed and from movement and uh Waldrop's got the splitter and slider that uh if the Rockies pitching development is able to work with him well um I think he might be able to find more success in a run environment like course actually there is no run environment like course field course field is the only one i think he's going to be able to find more success in cores than uh your average pitcher um interesting and then at 10 i had matt shaw going to the marlins um nice. you know like you said you already had him off the board it's a guy they've got him listed at short but he's probably going to play second uh and elite bat you know like we said definite fantasy target um certainly the kind of thing that you look for and honestly i think it's the kind of thing that that mlb teams should be looking for i think it's easier to teach a guy teach a guy defense or to teach a guy a new position move a shortstop into left field or whatever than it is to teach a defender to put up better exit velos um that just feels like you're sort of working backwards and so i think matt shaw would be a great pick for the marlins at 10 then i got two more here i've got uh the angels and the diamondbacks coming up and i have got a couple of short stops here i've got uh the angels taking colin hauck out of high school and the Diamondbacks taking Tommy Troy out of Stanford, uh, who really impressed me in the College World Series and the limited number of games we were able to watch him as Stanford was eliminated pretty quickly. But this is a, another guy who is just a crazy solid bat. Like he can hit basically he can hit any ball. Uh he puts up good he puts up quality contact. Um, I mean, he's just the quality shortstop that 
a team I think like Arizona is looking for. Like I know that they have Jordan Lawler on the cusp, but uh, the fact that they've been linked so much to Hauk um, and the fact that Troy would be on the board at this point, and I think a really solid value um, has me liking that pick. And also I th- I like the Angels taking Hauk. Like even though I think they are more of a they are more prone to taking college players um he's just he's so big and like he seems like he's got the uh build that you can dream on like for power potential um like you could you could stick him at third i know we're not talking about drafting for need but like zach netto and then maybe hauk at third could be an elite left side of the infield for quite some time to come uh so yeah those those are my picks at 11 and 12 are uh colin hauk nice. and tommy troy i like it um i also have tommy troy at 12 Ooh, i for all the nice. reasons you said i love the college performer performance um big fan of the hit and power combo um, little concerned about it, like the chase and the, the off-speed recognition, but I mean the, the upside. The upside offensively is pretty big. Um, and then working backwards at eleven, um, I got the Angels going and Enrique Bradfield here. Um, I actually, you know, it's weird. It's <laughs> Bradfield's not the type of guy I usually go for. Like I like the data darlings, so to speak, the big exit velos and all that sexy stuff, but. I just, the more I think about it, Bradfield is out of Vanderbilt, um, surefire center fielder, probably going to win gold gloves or contend for them. Um, And I just feel like this is such a high probability of being a two or three win player. And while he may not have that elite high end upside, I just feel like it's a really safe bet. You know, he's got great speed too. Um, for the Angels. And then Tommy Troy, as you said, uh, Arizona. Um, with the Cubs and the Red Sox next, yes. I am going to go, kind of going on the fly here as I kind of look at my big board. Yeah, I'm going to do for that. The Cubs, <laughs> for the Cubs, I am going to take, um, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to take Chase Davis. Um, Chase Davis is... Definitely getting a lot of buzz in fantasy circles. He's kind of been like the the name to watch um, in fantasy Twitter these days. It's elite exit velos. It's elite chase rate. It's it's improving contact ability. Um, he's an outfielder out of Arizona. I he performed really poorly last year in the Cape with wood bats. He performed pretty poorly his sophomore season at Arizona. But this year, he put together a monster campaign, and I, I think that it would be a really nice fit in that outfield eventually uh, for the Cubs. He's a guy you could probably slot in to the middle of the order. He almost reminds me like a, like a Lars Nubar type. Mm. Um, and then for the Red Sox, I am going to go with – I feel like they like, they, like, they like high school guys. I don't know why they do. I like high school guys too. I'm going to take Aiden Miller here nice. uh, for the Red Sox. I really like Aiden Miller a lot. It's – He's performed extremely well on the showcase circuit. So, like the perfect game circuit and some of the big other um, showcase circuits, those are that's kind of how like high school players um, get notoriety from scouts and get that kind of exposure. He performed extremely well. He's got big raw power. 
Um, he's got a really good field to hit too. He is 19 as a high school senior, which is kind of concerning for analytically inclined teams, right? Because like age is so important in a lot of draft models and a lot of the the formulas that teams use to draft. But I do feel like Aiden Miller presents a lot of upside. They tend to like this type. They've taken Nick Bjork. They've taken Blaze Jordan. So I think the Red Sox would, um, you know, Aiden Miller would be a nice landing spot for them. Nice. Um, for me, I had a couple of different picks at 13 and 14. Uh, I had I got the Cubs taking uh, high school shortstop Arjun Namala. Um, I, I know that he's a guy who's been falling down a little bit because of the swing and miss, but uh, crazy tools there, and he's only 17 years old. So some of those teams that value age, like you said, are going to be salivating over him maybe mm-hmm. um and i think it's a good fit as with chicago i think there's some uh interest there and then i had the red Sox at 14 taking Braden taylor out of tcu um and that's a pick that as a yankees fan would kind of terrify me <laughs> But it is one that I had to approach um, and think, hey, maybe that could be possible. Like, you know, like you said, they are big into um, high school bats. So I considered like a Blake Mitchell, maybe the catching prospect. But um, I ended up going with Braden Taylor, I think. I'm, I'm not convinced that um, Raphael Devers sticks at third for very long at all like I'm kind of surprised he's still out there I think at a certain point they're gonna have to stick him at first just because he's not a very good defender and he's not very fast at all and Mm -hmm. um like it's it's just a guy that as his profile ages like it's not a guy honestly whose profile I'm super high on long term like in general but especially in the field so like I think a guy like Braden Taylor could eventually slot in as like Boston's third baseman of the future next to Marcelo Mayer at short. Um, But then with 15 and 16, uh, I've got the White Sox taking Chase Dolander, uh, and I've got the San Francisco Giants taking Blake Mitchell. Um, Might just be some unconscious bias there in my head, just having watched... Buster Posey in San Francisco for so long that I would, you know, link the catching prospect with them in my head. But the fact that he's the best high school catcher in the draft is just going to be super, super valuable for some teams. Um, And I think that the Giants could certainly be a contender to take him. Uh, I believe they drafted a high schooler last year was Reggie, Reggie Crawford, I think was, yeah, was he, he was out of UConn. Oh, he was out of UConn. Okay. He was out of college. But yeah, Never he was mind. like a two-way guy. Oh, yeah. yeah, I remember that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I could. I think San Francisco, I could definitely see Blake Mitchell being a great fit here. Like I know Patrick Bailey is doing pretty well right now in San Fran, but that's a guy who just kind of popped up on a blip. I'm not super, super sold on him yet. Um, and we've talked about Chase Dolander a bunch already. Um a bunch of a bunch of talk of him going around like nine or ten, and I've got him falling here to the White Sox at fifteen. 
Yeah, well, you're, you seem like you're lower on Dolander than most. Uh, care to explain? <laughs> um, I don't know that I'm like super lower on him, but I think I might just be like higher on Hurston Waldrop than I am on him. Um, okay. And that might have just been why, like, I've got like Colorado taking Waldrop over him. Like, if if you gave me the the choice of those two guys right now, I think I would probably go with Waldrop, but. That's just me personally. Yeah, I mean, I can see it. I'm concerned about Waldrop's command, I think, ultimately. But I could definitely, definitely see it. Um, it's Well, who knows with, with pitchers, right? They change so oh, yeah. frequently and can develop so rapidly. So, yeah, who knows? Um, yeah, I for Chicago here, um, I actually have them taking Hurst and Waldrop. I, I think they need to get some some, some arms in that system. Yep. Um, and uh, I, I, I do like the upside of Waldrop. I am concerned about the strike throwing. I am concerned that maybe his fastball doesn't have the best shape, kind of gets beat up um, despite the velocity. But as you said, you know, that split change is a true 70 grade pitch. It's disgusting. You know, maybe he could be what we hoped Gavin Stone could have been. <laughs> it could be kind of like a nice upside comparison for, yeah. uh, for Waldrop. And then um, with the. Where am I? Who'd you have San Francisco? Yeah, so San Fran. This is a tough one. I I don't mind the Blake Mitchell pick. Um, I actually could see them doing it. Honestly, I haven't taken Brock Wilkin. Nice. Um, because I really like Brock Wilkin. Like, I, I they they've kind they they kind of like this profile of like if you look at their roster right now, it's like Lamonte Wade and like Blake Sabal and like a bunch of dudes who can mash strike out but walk a ton and that is brock wilkin to a t like he would fit so well in san fran brock wilkin is monster power he has definitely strikeout concerns but he ran like a 500 obp at wake forest i'm a big i'm a big brock wilkin fan i think that this is a profile that um the giants could really uh salivate over honestly um so yeah with that being said um we are now on the Baltimore Orioles. Orioles and the Brewers. Yes. So with the Orioles, I'm going to have them take an Arjun Namala here. Um, I'm not the biggest Namala guy personally, but I could see the Orioles really liking him. Um, honestly, I, I, I think they are they are a model team. They're a team that cares about age relative to level. And that's Arjun Namala. He's 17. He's got huge power. Um, unbelievably quick hands, unbelievably quick swing, strikeout concerns. Absolutely. Could this be a Cavone, Keone Cavaco situation in 2019 where the twins like really aggressively picked him pretty high, almost to the top 10. It could be, but Baltimore would be a great landing spot for the development of Namala, I believe. And then with the Brewers, the Brewers are tough. They love pitching this draft at this point. It gets a little bit scarce with pitching. Um, so I think that they have to go hitting just based on the talent pool and based on who's available, I am going to take, uh, your namesake, Noah, <laughs> Nolan <laughs> Shanwell, uh, I almost said Noah, uh, Shanwell is, um, a, he, he's a, he's a data beast. Um, he, he hits the ball so hard, great chase rates, doesn't swing and miss in zone contact through the roof. He's a first baseman. First baseman aren't too valuable in terms of war, in terms of, you know, valuations for prospects. He really needs to hit. I think he can. I think he's a better first base prospect than, like, 
Kyle Manzardo or Tyler Locklear the, last, the past couple of years. I think he's quite a bit better than those guys at the same time. Um, and I, I think he's worth a top 20 pick. And I think the Brewers could use some thump in that system. They have a lot of toolsy guys. But I think that having a, a Shanwell, a, a Nolan Shanwell there to like really be in a potential anchor for them is a really nice pick. I love that pick. I was also going to make the namesake comment uh, because I had him going number 17 to Baltimore. Um, I think that would all be another great fit. I think that they like him a lot. I think that uh, a lot of teams in this range do for very good reason. I'd like to see him go to St. Louis just because we need to get that trifecta of Nolan's <laughs> yeah, going right. on in that lineup with Arenado and <laughs> Gorman. Uh, that that would be sick. Uh, 75% Nolan infield. Then we could just put Nolan, uh, yeah. and we could put Nolan oh, Jones at second somehow. I don't yeah, know. They, they just trade for Nolan Jones. can make that work. He's like, been traded for like the fourth time in the last year, but we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. It's like <laughs> the kind of thing that would like happen in my dreams, but like not a very good dream. <laughs> Hey, I mean, you could play Arnaud at a shortstop. You could do Arnaud at a shortstop, Nolan oh, Jones boy. at third base, Gorman at second, and then Shanwell at first. Wow. And then Goldie, I guess, DHing. <laughs> it could happen. I don't know. I love it. It's a, oh, <laughs> dream man. Scenario. Yeah, no, I know. And then uh, at 18 for the Brewers, I had him taking Jacob Wilson. Uh, okay. Not a guy that I'm like super excited about. He put up good numbers in college. I'm not sure the profile is that strong. I don't know how well it will translate. Um, I, I said earlier, I don't really love either of the Jacob shortstops in this draft, Wilson or Gonzalez. Like it, they're just not really my kind of guys. Um, and like maybe that's partially like a fantasy bias for me. Like I'm just not into the like big defensive guys like Jacob Gonzalez. I I liked you having him going to. Uh, Colorado just because like that ballpark could have him play up when you know when uh offense is a bit of a weakness for him I actually have him going in a few picks here not to spoil but uh for my two I've got 19 uh I have the Rays and I've got them taking Enrique Bradfield um I really like this this player for the a lot of the same reasons you said his tools outside of the bat are absolutely insane like and I think that the Rays would be a good team to get like that to get as much value out of a player like him as they can um it would remind me a lot of watching Kevin uh Kiermaier out there for them in yep center field for so long like he's just that elite speed elite defense like bradfield probably even more so especially a guy so young you know like yeah that's like if you're drafting defense he's the number one pick i mean um so yeah i I would i would like i mean i wouldn't like to see it 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 would scare the shit out of me again but i think i could see the rays getting a lot of value out of enrique bradfield uh, and i can see toronto doing the same for chase davis um that would be great to see a left-handed bat like that get into their lineup it's something that they've they've needed for quite some time like they've got brandon belt in there now a little bit and he's been producing well but like if you get a young stud left-handed bat 
to compliment like Bo Bichette and Vladdy. Oh my God, man, that would, it would be a perfect fit. I think, um, you know, like, yeah. And you have Chase Davis a little bit higher. So it very possible that he doesn't fall here, but, um, 19 and 20, I've got Bradfield and Davis. Yeah. Love those picks. I mean, Brad, both would be in my opinion, steals if they got there. I agree. Um, honestly. So love those picks. Um, at 19 for the Rays, I had them taking uh, Walker Martin hmm. out of Colorado, shortstop. A little bit older, 19. He's a high schooler. Um, but dude's a freak athlete, really good athlete. And they like that profile. They have a guy, uh, Carson Williams, right now, right. who's ascending prospects prospect list mo- into most people's top 50s. He's kind of a similar profile. Honestly, Walker Martin is a much better prospect at the same time. Walker Martin has a much better hit tool. He has a really nice power ceiling. I think that it's um, mostly, you know, gap power now, but I think he can grow into more over the fence power, really good speed, good fielder, maybe a third baseman as he ages and matures. But I I really like this fit. I think that there's considerable upside here. Um, If Walker and Martin was 18, I think he's a top 10 pick. Honestly, same goes with Aiden Miller, who I picked earlier. Wow. I'm really a big fan of Martin and Miller um, as prospects. I wouldn't shy away from the age because I mean, 2019, uh, Brett Beatty, everyone was talking about him as a 19-year-old high schooler. Um, and the Mets took him pretty high, 12, I believe. And it worked out really well. People at the time were like, eh, 19, I don't know. I mean, Brett Beatty, has he really contributed to the major league level yet? No, I do believe in him long-term, though. And I think it ended up being a really good pick. So I, I do like Walker Martin quite a bit, and I think the Rays um, would also like him. And then uh, Toronto, I got I got Colin Houck, who we picked earlier. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Seems like their kind of guy. Uh, I don't know if there's the most upside with Houck, but I think he's a shortstop. I like the body. I think he could grow into more power. I think that presently he has less power than like a Walker Martin or an Aiden Miller. But Toronto, they, they like this type. Um, they picked it in the past with, you know, with guys like um, – I'm blanking, but they, they like this profile. Trust me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> there's a name that I'm trying to think of right now that I just can't. It's okay. I hate when that happens. But anyways, yeah. Uh, Groshans? Colin Houck, I think, would be also. Yes, Jordan Groshans. Thank you. He reminds me a lot of Jordan Groshans. Nice. Yes. And then, um, am I still on? I, yes, you've got uh, 21 yes, and 22. Perfect. you got the Cardinals awesome. and Mariners. Cardinals. Ooh, this is a, uh, you know what? I think that these are um, really clear, at least in my opinion, in terms of profile. Uh, Thomas White to the Cardinals, lefty, lefty pitcher, big kid, really loud stuff. Pretty good polish as well. I think it'd be an excellent fit in that organization. They seem to, they, they need pitching really bad, uh, but they also seem to do a pretty decent job with pitching at the same time. It's kind of a weird thing going on in St. Louis. Um, and then with the Mariners, they like hit tool first middle infielders, kind of like the Guardians do as well. Um, they, they have Michael Arroyo in the lower levels of their system. They took Cole Young last year in the first round. Um, I have them taking – there's a couple of guys they could take here, but I think I slightly prefer Colt Emerson here to the Mariners. Nice. Uh, hit, hit tool first, smaller body. Um, really like the fit there with the Mariners. 
I really like that pick. I, I actually had that myself. I ended up changing it. But last night I also had Cole Emerson to the Mariners. Um, <laughs> we had a very similar idea with St. Louis at uh, 21. I, I almost went with uh, Thomas White as well, but I ended up going up going with the other high school southpaw. I went with Joe uh, Whitman. And um, okay. the the reasoning for that was mainly because of like the uh, movement on the secondary pitches and like what I think they could be able to unlock with that. Like Jerpy, I remember last year, like people were talking about how the the Cardinals' right. pitching development would be so good for him, and like that's that kind of is a lot of what went into my. Uh, Whitman pick here like I think if they were able to kind of fine-tune that stuff um, but honestly I, I don't know like a ton of difference between Thomas White and Joe Whitman like we're entering the tier of the draft where some of these guys start to blend a little bit together for me so like I could absolutely see them taking Thomas White here um, I just went with Joe Whitman for that reason that I just stated but um, yep. I like that a lot. And then at 22, I had Seattle taking Jacob Gonzalez. Uh, like you said, with that, you know, middle infield hit first kind of thing. Like they, I mean, yeah. not that Gonzalez is like a great hitter, but um, in terms of just not having like a ton of pop, I don't think that Seattle would care about that quite as much as uh, most teams would. Um, and then for my two picks here, I've got. 23 and 24 i've got the guardians and the braves uh at 23 i have cleveland taking thomas white so i had uh i could totally see that though. yeah no right like yep. i said uh, st louis passing on him but then i have him going to cleveland and like that was just kind of like uh let's put this guy in like the best possible fit for him like i think you can also make that argument yep. about st louis but like i saw cleveland and i just think thomas white like that is That'd be a great pick for them. I would really like to see it. Uh, and then I had the Braves taking Bryce Eldridge. Uh, and okay. I don't necessarily think that they would let him pitch, but I, I think that they might be able to get quite a lot out of the bat. So that was just kind of my thought process there. I like it. Um, I'm not the biggest on Eldridge, mostly because like I don't know what to do with him. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like do you let him pitch? Do you let him hit? Do you let him do both? I don't know. And for me, it's just like the part of my brain is just like, okay, I don't want to deal with it. You know what I mean? Of course. But it's like, it's like Otani is like the only one who's like worth that, that kind of level of thought, but at least in my brain, I mean, I'm sure a very smart team is going to pick him and hopefully develops into something good. Um, I I like those picks Um, with Cleveland. I I had them taking Kevin McGonigal. He's Mm. the other guy I was alluding to. Who's like that kind of hit tool first, smaller, middle infielder very similar profile to to cold emerson i think that mcgonagall has a touch more pure hitting ability i think he has a touch less power than cold emerson um and i don't think he is a shortstop i think colt could be a shortstop i think mcgonagall probably moves off to second base but like cleveland loves those type of guys i think it'd be a great profile fit and then with Atlanta, I have Braden Taylor falling to them here. Oh um, man, what a I'm not dream as high. Them. Yeah, I'm not as high on Braden Taylor, but I think at 24, I'm like all in. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't like him in the teens personally. I think that it's 
it's all kind of the tools are just kind of average. They're all kind of like average to above average across the board. And I, I, I am worried that it won't translate to the pro game as nicely and that, that maybe the impact won't be there. But I, I think in Atlanta, they developed that so well that like you take this guy with the pure hitting ability and the, the plate approach uh, that Braden Taylor has, and maybe you can add a little bit of power. I mean, power often comes last when it comes to prospect development. I think that Atlanta would be a fantastic landing spot. That's great. San Diego, San Diego at 25. There's a few guys who have dropped a little bit down my board um, or down most people's boards that they could end up taking. I think I am going to end up pulling the plug here and I'm going to take Jacob Wilson with San Diego. Got it. Um, I don't love Jacob Wilson. Uh, It's he's anti-analytics and like, I'm obviously I'm a data guy, right? But like, I understand not everyone is, but like he's actively anti-analytics and I don't know if it's because like his exit data, exit velo data isn't very good being salty about it or if he's like genuinely anti-analytics but to me it comes off as a guy who maybe like isn't like as coachable as you would like to see um a guy who isn't like adaptive to you know modern and professional um development techniques and coaching techniques so i'm just a little bit lower on him i'm also a little bit lower on the profile i just don't think there's any real real impact there probably but i think in san diego you know he could develop into a guy who's you know a nice all-around utility infielder um, and then the Yankees, oh, the Yankees, they, I, I, I like this. I like this spot for the Yankees in the draft. Um, and I'm going to have him take in a local kid here, uh, George Lombard. Ooh. I'm a big fan of Lombard. Um, it's, it's huge power. Potentially it's potentially plus or better power. He's a high school shortstop. It's definitely power over hit, but I, I think he's a good hitter. I think he has a sound approach. I think this is a really nice upside pick. If, if there's a guy in this range, in this 25 to 30, 25 to 35 range, who could be like a top 25 prospect in a couple of years. I think Lombard's a good bet. He could be like the next Volpe type for the Yankees. I think that's like the outcome that Yankees fans would be hoping for if they ended up taking him. Oh, I certainly would be. Wow. Um, <laughs> with my two picks there, uh, I've had San Diego taking Aiden Miller. Uh, and then I went with a different high school shortstop for the Yankees. I had him with uh, Sammy Stafora. Nice. I like Stafora a lot as well. Yeah. That could definitely be a landing spot as well. Yeah, like I've it. heard that a lot. I've heard it a lot about the Braves as well. Um, I kind of like your pick more. Like I might but prefer George Lombard as just a fan of the Yankees, like I think. But like I don't know. Stafora is cool too. Like They take like yeah. so many shortstops in this range. I feel like it's all like they always go with – the, the, the yeah. Yankees like definitely have a type. They're always trying to recreate Derek Jeter. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Maybe. Derek Jeter uh, reincarnated. But like, yeah. I mean, I, I do think that this is a good year to be picking in this range for the Yankees. I think that they could end up with a really nice upside bet, whether it's Sephora or Lombard. I like both guys. I, I, it could be, it could be a home run. It really could. Yeah. Hope so. Um, and then with my two picks here, I have last year's World Series matchup, uh, 27. Uh, I have the Phillies taking Charlie Soto. And I did I pick, I did this primarily because of the um, success that they've had with Mick Abel and Andrew Painter as high school arms. I feel like at this point in the draft, they could see a guy like Charlie Soto, who I think has kind of 
similar stuff with that electric arsenal. Like he can hit triple digits, and uh, I think they're just gonna kind of salivate over that picking it. 27 like i could definitely see them going with a high school bat or something like that but um for me i think that's that might be the the pick for them he certainly seems to fit into the what they what they like to draft um and then 28 i had houston taking um i'm going to mispronounce this name but Johandri Morales I think the third yeah you can call him Yo-Yo he goes by Yo-Yo okay I call him Yo-Yo Morales Morales. that's sick all right I'm gonna take (laughs) Yo-Yo Morales uh the third baseman out of Miami um I I don't have a ton of reasoning for this pick but I know Mm. that the Astros are big time into college guys I think that they nailed the Drew Gilbert pick last yep. year and i think they might see morales here as uh, as a, another guy who probably should have been taken before they would have gone yeah. on the clock but um they're gonna see that as a steal and they're gonna they're gonna yeah. snatch it up so. it's very possible that yo-yo goes quite a bit higher than this um he's right. polarizing he's a he's a really polarizing prospect i don't really like him like i i don't mind him at 28 but I probably would still pass on him at 28. Fair enough. He's really aggressive. He's like he's a third baseman, um, big guy. He's really aggressive at the plate, and I don't really like to see that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I that's like technically the end of the first round, but we're gonna do uh, 29 and 30 as well. Both picks are owned by the Seattle Mariners. Uh, the 29th is because it's the first ever pick with the um incentive the new in the new cba where julio rodriguez they called him up and he won rookie of the year so they got this 29th pick at the end of the round as compensation which i think is very cool and i'm interested in seeing who seattle takes at 29 with this new compensatory selection that they get to make uh, and this is your pick, Nick. So who do you think it's going to be? Yeah, so um, just to recap, though, I did have – I also had Philadelphia taking uh, Soto. I like that pick a lot. Oh, nice. And I had Houston taking uh, Sammy Stafura, who you took a c- couple picks earlier. So, um, yeah. And then Seattle uh, with their last two picks. There's a lot of talent here. Um, I'm going to go a little – off the beaten path i'm gonna take ty floyd with one of those picks um ty floyd is a college pitcher out of lsu um really great fastball with awesome life awesome characteristics it gets compared to spencer strider i wouldn't go that far um he doesn't really have any secondaries to speak of right now i think that's fine neither did bryce miller when he when he was drafted uh four years ago Neither did Brian Wu. They had these elite fastballs. I love the foundation for Ty Floyd. I love the fit in Seattle. Um, I actually think there's a real possibility that that Floyd could be selected with one of these picks. And then with the other pick uh, for Seattle, I'm going to take Lou James Groover, which is one of my favorite names in this draft. That's the best name ever. Oh, my God. Lou James Groover. It is a a sick baseball name. (laughs) A-plus in the name bust. That's like... um... (laughs) <laughs> One of those names that you would find in the Japanese Nintendo baseball game where they like 
where they've like wrote down what they uh, assumed American names were like, and it's like Chetson, Doug Nutt, <laughs> and Todd Bonzalez, and like Sleeve <laughs> McDykel and shit like that. Oh, yeah, I can see Lou sure. James Groover being that. Lou James Groover, it's awesome. yeah. I just so want to keep James, saying it. Listen, Lou James rakes. Um, he is a fantastic bat. It reminds me of um, when they took Tyler Locklear last year in the second round. Um, I think Groover is even a little bit better of a pure hitter, maybe a little bit less power than like Locklear had. But I think that you're drafting Lou James Groover for the bat. He's not a factor in the field. He's probably a first base DH. But I think it's a type that Seattle likes. They like the Ty Francis. They like the Tyler Locklears. Um, I would think I like the fit here at 30 with that extra pick Lou James Groover and you can't go wrong with the name. No, you absolutely can't. Um, for me, I had, I've got them taking two, uh, high school bats here to close out the draft. I've got Seattle, well, close out the first round going with, uh, George Lombard and, uh, Johnny Farmello, who I have seen them link to as well a bit, uh, just, a speculative pick there for me but uh i I like farmello a lot i want to touch on him real quick do it Um, yeah um, please one of the guys i was considering he's actually like 32nd on my big board right now it could change a lot after the draft but i I really like farmello um high upside a lot of tools great body needs a swing change though the swing is ugly it's Mm. not fundamental it's not geared for loft but a, a, an organization like Seattle, who can invest the the time into changing his swing, could they could have a real, real solid prospect. They could, I mean, this kid could he could be a top twenty five prospect someday. He has those kinds of tools. I like to pick a lot. Oh, man, so exciting! Such an it exciting is. time of year. Um, I'll be tuning in on Sunday and quite excited for it. Um, it's gonna be a blast. Yeah, that that's gonna wrap up the first ever Mudville mock. Uh, th- thank you so much to Nikki C, aka Prospect Sauce, for being here, for joining us. Uh, this was so much fun. Uh, you are an in- incredible guest, and we would will be certainly having you back on time and time again. Always happy to join the Mudville boys for some baseball conversations. Um, this was a great one. Um, hype for the draft. I hope you all kind of go out and watch it. At least the first couple picks. It's going to be a great time. And uh, hope see who your favorite team picks. I mean, it's it's a really exciting time of year. Absolutely. Well, that's going to wrap it up for Mudville. Uh, I'm for Brody, who is not currently here. Um if you haven't already, please toss us a five-star rating and a nice review. If you made it this long, thank you so much. This was a bit of a marathon episode. And thank you so, so much to our excellent guest, Nick, for putting up with us for so long. Thank you so much, Nick. <laughs> yeah, no worries. All right. See you guys later. <laughs>